tuning in to the online broadcast network, AfterBuzz TV. Over 20 million weekly downloads in over 150 countries and your number one source for after-show entertainment. TV, the destination for TV superfans, producing aftershows for over 300 of your favorite TV shows, interviewing celebrities and showrunners, and bringing you behind-the-scenes exclusives. All thanks to E! Entertainment's Maria Menounos, producer Kevin Undergaro, and internet leader Akamai. Now, let the buzz begin! Hello, Robots in Disguise fans, and welcome to a, I hesitate to say, a very special episode of the Robots in Disguise After Show, because boy, does that have after-school special connotations, but welcome back, and it is a special episode, because we have the wonderful Adam Beecham with us today. Hey. Doing okay, how are you? Good, thanks for having me here. It's fun. Of course. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. So we have Adam Bumblebeechin Beechin. Great. On the ones and twos, we have Alexis the Wrecker Taurus. Hey, hey. what's up, guys? And co-hosting, we have Emma the Speedster Fife. Hello. <laughs> Megan, Lord Megantron Salinas. Do as I command! And I am Katie Kia Prime Cullen. Now, as you all know, we did not have an episode this week. Or we did, but it was a rerun of the second part of the pilot. So if you watched it again, good for you, supporting the show. So we don't have any recapping to do. Instead, we have Adam Beechin, who is the head writer and producer for the series, in with us to talk about the show. Here I am. So, welcome to the studio. Thank you. Oh, so, yes. uh, Twitter. Twitter. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> we do have a hashtag. It is ABTVRID if you are watching the live stream, which, thank you if you are. Feel free to tweet at us. Use the hashtag. Um, everyone go around. Give your Twitter handles. Adam? Sure. I'm uh, at Sonova. S-O-N-N-O-V-A. Oh, that's... Uh, son of a <laughs> <laughs> Oh! That makes so much sense now, because right? when I looked for you on Twitter earlier, I was like... Sonova? Yeah. I was pronouncing it too. I get that a lot. I get that a lot. <laughs> and you can find me on Twitter very creatively at Emma Fife. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the Menguin. That's T H E M E N G U I N. And I'm at Kiaxet K I A X E T. Alexis. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at uh, A Torres eight nine zero. So again, if you have any questions for Adam, tweet him in. Use the ABTVRID hashtag. We will be keeping an eye on it. So I'm going to give you a super general question to start with. Cool. What's it like working on Robots in Disguise? It's fantastic. I mean, uh, it's a privilege, really. I mean, it's such a an important franchise, such a, a franchise that carries so many uh, uh, great fans and uh, such a wonderful history that to be a part of it on any level really is a treat. Now, no. did you work on Prime as well? I didn't. No, you I didn't. came aboard with Robots on Disguise. Er, in Disguise. On Disguise? <laughs> Who are these guys? It's just, it's just a, it's a series about robots talking about disguises. <laughs> yes, it's it's a, robots on disguise. It's a fashion show, <laughs> yeah. really. Yeah. Yeah. And they're going to guest on the new cosplay series it, we have on Popcorn Talk. Exactly. Exactly. So what's it like working on the sequel, then, as opposed to the original installment? How well, did getting into that work? I'm not sure that I would call it really a sequel. Um, mm, the really? show is, is really its own creature. Uh, while it takes place after the events of Prime, we really wanted to do a show where you didn't have to know 30 years of history. <laughs> yes. Or even the whole history of Prime. We wanted shows that could stand on their own and characters that could be their own characters. So I think it's really more its own beast than it is a sequel. Uh, and so being a part of it in terms of its creation, getting to develop those characters, develop the mythology, develop the world, is always a writer's dream to be uh, as much a part of that kind of stuff as you can be. 
So speaking of world development, we had a good number of questions about this last week. Sure. What is going on on Cybertron? Will we ever see what happened to it, what it's become? Uh, you will uh, get a lot of hints about it, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, for the bulk of the action of the show is going to take place on Earth. Yeah. Um, but you will be hearing from time to time what's going on on Cybertron. But the odds of us getting actual scenes on there? You know, I'm not a gambling person. (laughs) I think that's the best evasive answer I've heard in a while. Spoilers. Yeah. Um, I wanted to know, because there's so... uh, Granted, Prime was a little bit of a reboot. Mm -hmm. There's so much history with the Transformers just as a franchise. I wanted to know what's the biggest challenge in trying to make everything compartmentalized in your own series, while still kind of giving people fan service or staying true to the mythology. Uh, You know, I think it's, um, it's making sure that we don't cross something that has been done before mm-hmm. or been said before. And fortunately, um, uh, the redoubtable Margaret Scott worked on our show and uh, she is a repository of all things Transformers. That's uh, amazing! Uh, Margaret wrote on the show. She was a terrific resource for us in addition to being a terrific writer. And so when we had any questions, we would just go, Margaret? <laughs> and she would give us an answer. Well, in uh, season 6, episode 1, minute 14, <laughs> she would tell us exactly what had happened. So and, she just uh, has a database in her head. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And so uh, as long as we uh, were really careful about our P's and Q's, yeah. we weren't too worried. Uh, so hopefully, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that there are little slip-ups here yes. and there, and people will find them and let me know. <laughs> <laughs> but we really did do our best not to try to violate any existing continuity. I was going to ask, obviously, there is so much Transformers history. Were you a Transformers fan before you got involved specifically in this project? You know, admittedly, I really wasn't. Um, it was really fun to come aboard and learn all of it. Yeah. Uh, I was a, a Voltron guy. Okay. I was, I <laughs> was the Peter other Cullen. robots. It had Peter Cullen in it. Right. Okay. It, it I did. Was a, I was a Robotech guy. Oh, yeah. I was a Micronauts guy. You know, so uh, switching from one kind of robot to another was great for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but learning about the history of the Transformers and then meeting some of the people who have played some of the Transformers has been really amazing. Yeah, that's absolutely incredible. Actually, at work, um, one time we had a Make-A-Wish kid who his wish was to make, was to meet the voice of Optimus Prime. And so Peter, Peter Cullen. Cullen came into the VIP lounge at, at Universal Studios where I work and I was like, it was like seeing this god. I mean, he has been involved in Transformers from the beginning. Could not meet a nicer guy, too. Yeah. He's terrific. He Meeting really that is. man is on my bucket list. I've been <laughs> oh asked if god. I'm related to him because we have the same last oh, name. Yeah. So it's like, I'd like to think so. Yeah. <laughs> and i got to tell you, the first time I was in the recording booth or recording studio with Peter, and he said, Bumblebee. <laughs> <laughs> Chills. I had chills, and you know the hairs in the back of my neck stood up. It's really fantastic. Yeah, I wanted to ask. Um, just speaking of the voice actors on the show, do you guys typically do group reads or group table reads before individual recording, or do you have to record everybody individually because of scheduling? We record everybody together as much as possible. Sometimes with the schedules, it's not all that possible, so no. we do it patchwork. Uh, but uh, by far, our preferred method is to have everybody all at the same time. We don't really do a table read before every script. We do before the first script of the year or of the season so that everybody can get to know each other. But there's just not enough time to yeah. have one for every uh, for every episode. The actors just don't have that kind of time in their schedule. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. So what aspect of the series do you enjoy writing the most? 
the interplay between the characters. Uh, <laughs> Banter! Yeah. Uh, and I think probably a lot of writers would say that. But uh, especially when you're dealing with new characters and you're finding their voices, getting a chance to have those first couple exchanges between all the characters really sets the tone. And then developing that over the course of a season or a course of a series is really great. Uh, it's fun to see those voices develop. Who do you think yeah. is the most difficult to write for? I they're going to say who's the most difficult actor. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, give us all the dirt. No, that too. Um, I think probably the one that I had the hardest time finding uh, an angle on was Optimus. Mm. Because Optimus is so set, and everybody knows what Optimus is and who Optimus is. (laughs) Yes. It's hard to find a new angle on the relationship between Bumblebee and Optimus. Um, and also to find some uh, something to explore in Optimus's character that maybe hasn't been explored before. Yeah. So we may well see him again then. I'm not a betting man. <laughs> no, I would say that you know Optimus was a presence in the pilot episode, and uh, we'd be silly not to continue to at least have him be a part of the show on some level. So yeah. I was going to say that I noticed looking at your IMDb that you've written for a lot of more juvenile kids shows. Uh, is it uh, just you enjoy then getting the chance with a show like this? Because I feel like the characters, particularly on Robots in Disguise, and, and very much so in Prime as well, they're so three-dimensional. Sure. So do you do you enjoy getting the chance to write those more sort of complex characters, if you will. Well, um, I've, I've written on a lot of different kinds of shows. Yeah. Uh, and I've written everything from X-Men and yes, Batman and <laughs> Batman Brave and the Bold. So yep. not everything yes. has been for younger viewers. Right. Um, with something like uh, uh, Robots in Disguise, which is meant to be a bridge between the age ranges for um, uh, Rescue, Rescue Bots, Bots yeah. and Prime, uh, that's pretty well in the wheelhouse. Yeah. You know? um, I, I do like the chance to write for, for older kids, but there's there's fun to be had writing for anybody. Yeah. You know, it's it's really part of the fun is the challenge of figuring out your audience and what they want to see and what they respond to. Mm. And uh, I just I love taking on that challenge with any show that I write for. Yeah. So following that, what would you like the audience to get out of Robots in Disguise? A good time. Uh, we just want them to have fun, enjoy the show, maybe experience a Transformers that has a little bit of a lighter tone, uh, and yet serves as um, a natural uh, bridge, like I was saying, between the two series. We want the kids who've been watching Rescue Bots to graduate to watching our show and really feel like they're still at home. You want to get a little action in before they get into Prime and have their hearts <laughs> Right? Yes. Yeah, we want them still to enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> Not that everybody didn't enjoy Prime, but it's a different kind of enjoyment. Oh, we enjoyed Prime, but it destroyed us. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're not. In the best kind of way. Yeah. No, we really super enjoyed it, but, oh, there are some episodes you don't watch if you just want to veg on the couch. Yeah. Well, you know what? That's the mark of good writing, um, yeah. that you guys were that invested in the characters. Uh, and that's a testament to Steve Melching and, and Marsha Griffin and all the people who were, were part of writing that show, Dwayne Capizzi. Um, and hopefully we can build that same kind of investment with our show. That's really a goal of ours. Speaking of the writers, um, we talked to Jeff Klein a couple weeks ago, and he talked about assembling the team for Prime. What was it like assembling the team for Robots in Disguise? Well, the team was actually pretty much assembled before I got there. Mm. Uh, Jeff called me in. The show had been mostly developed. Uh, and then uh, I came aboard and tinkered with the pilot some. Uh, you saw that the credit was shared between Dwayne and I. Mm-hmm. And um, and then sort of from there was able to add my my imprint to it a little bit. Uh, Steve Melching was on board as a story editor. Merigrid was on, uh, on board with us. Um, Mike Ryan, another very accomplished animation writer, was on board with us. And then uh, uh, midway through the season, Mike moved on to other things, and Guy Tobis joined us. And Guy is also a very accomplished writer. And um, it was pretty seamless. Uh, 
we would go out to lunch once a week to Hamburger <laughs> Hamlet and sit and talk robots. Come up with a, a basic idea for uh, for the next episode, and one of us would go away and write the premise for it. Come back in, and we'd start to develop it. And you've written this upcoming episode that'll be airing this week, haven't you? I did. Yeah, uh, we wanted to um, get a little bit ahead of the schedule if we could, uh, because we were a bit behind as every show is. When <laughs> yes, it starts. as you do. Always. So it made a little more sense for me to write the first couple episodes because then I wouldn't have to be getting that extra level of approval that I would if I had given it to, say, a staff writer or a freelancer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So. A lot of these characters we've seen before. Obviously, we've seen Bumblebee in Prime, and there are previous versions of Grimlock and Sideswipe, and there might be one for Fix-It. I'm not super well-versed on my mini-cons. How much does the previous incarnation of the characters play into your interpretation? I would say more so with Bumblebee than with Grimlock or with Sideswipe. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're pretty much reinventing those characters uh, yeah. to, to meet the needs of, of our <laughs> show. Uh, with Bumblebee, we're taking a little bit more of the history into account mm-hmm. uh, because people are so much more familiar with Bumblebee than they are with with some of the, the more minor characters that mm-hmm. you have in the show. Um, but that said, we're not referring to a whole lot of events that have taken place over Bumblebee's centuries of existence. <laughs> <laughs> we, figure, we figure people who are watching it who are really, you know, longtime fans of the show know that stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, we want a character that um, that new viewers can come to clean and feel like they understand pretty quickly. Hmm. Okay. Well, going off of that, um, there have been we. One of the questions that we had, kind of going into this series, is what happened to Bumblebee in the interim between Prime and Robots in Disguise. Why is he just a street cop when he could be doing so much more? That's an excellent question. So, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I could have had that question about the whole team, but B's the only one that we see right now. It's yeah. it's um it's pretty clear that uh, Cybertron has maybe not become the most hospitable. Place place to Optimus and the people who worked with Optimus during the war. Um, Why that is remains to be seen, but even if you'll notice in the scene where uh, Sideswipe is zooming around all the statues, those statues are kind of in disrepair. Yeah. If you notice. Uh, so that's a, another sign that maybe, you know, and if you look at the museum scenes, a lot of that stuff is sort of packed away in a corner. Yeah. It's not yeah. exactly on display. That's true, actually. That was one comment that we brought up last week about the Space Bridge, was that right. we're like, why mm-hmm. is it tucked away in the yeah. back corner of a museum? That's it's almost, still functional. <laughs> it's yeah. almost like they're trying to forget that stuff happened. Yeah. It's like, thanks for giving us our planet back. We don't need you anymore. Get lost. Yeah. Don't Imagine let the door so. hit you in the tailpipe on the way out. Exactly. <laughs> Jeez. Wow. Uh, I was also wondering, just because you were talking about your team earlier, mm-hmm. I wanted to know, is that what the normal brainstorming sessions look like? Is just talking Hamburger robots over burgers? <laughs> it's different for every show. Uh, for us, we found that was the most creative way to develop uh, new stories. <laughs> uh, do it on a full stomach. Um, yeah. And also, Hamburger Hamlet uh, at that time served Mr. Pibb, which was a great creative <laughs> for me. So, yeah. <laughs> It was normal for us. <laughs> Alexis, have you got anything? Uh, I do. Now that we put you on the spot, know, yeah, right? I'm like, okay, well, here we go. Um, <laughs> since I know you've worked on a lot of um, of my favorite uh, cartoons back in the day, do you? How do you feel about cartoons from like the 90s, like to now? Oh, I think the the development of the of animation techniques have made the cartoons uh, from the 90s to now so much more vivid mm-hmm. and so much more full. 
than the cartoons that that came before it. It's really it's an amazing universe that have been created has been created for all these cartoons. Uh, the way characters move, the facial expressions, mm-hmm. um, the amount of emotion that you can get out of a character. Not to mention the combat sequences. I mean, it yeah. really just flows. It's unbelievable. It's a it's a great time to be working in animation. I feel like also as the animation has gotten more sophisticated, so too has the writing. Not that the writing previous to the sophisticated animation we're seeing now wasn't good. It's just I think people are starting to acknowledge now, like that some animated series, uh, particularly ones like I don't know Transformers Prime, <laughs> right. are are legitimate pieces of of. Art and and media and media exactly. It's not all SpongeBob and Chowder. Yeah, I think you're right. I think there's an an acknowledgement, and even in cases like SpongeBob, there's an acknowledgement that there are viewers who are not little kids. Yes, and so there are more shows that can speak to both levels of audience. Yes, Uh, like I think it's perfectly, um, you know, perfectly good to watch the SpongeBob episode Mm -hmm. as an adult, and you can get something out of it. It's funny (laughs) that maybe a kid would find in a different way to be funny. Yeah, and hopefully we do that with robots in disguise. We want to be effective on a bunch of different levels if we can. I feel RescueBots has mastered that art. Absolutely, yes, I love RescueBots, even though that was absolutely intended to be for. Little children, yeah, for yeah. little children, it's very colorful. It's very fun. It's a lot of, um, you know, vehicles and, and no images. They don't mention the word. The word Decepticon literally never comes up. Well, you say it's expressly for the younger viewers, but the people at Hasbro and the people yeah. working on the show know that we're watching. Yeah, uh, and they want to make sure we're entertained too. Well, and that's that's brilliant because I, I mean, you know. Nine times out of ten, I feel like parents are watching shows with their kids, and so there is a sort of legitimacy when they can also get enjoyment out of it. And that's something that I feel Robots in Disguise is doing very well. I find the characters on Robots in Disguise to be so complex and compelling. Um, I love Sideswipe and what you guys are doing with him and his whole anti-hero kind of bad boy anime, anime, yeah. anime hair. <laughs> peer, pressure, peer pressure, peer pressure. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not just saying that like because you're sitting next to me. Like I am totally into Sideswipe. And also Strongarm. I love how she is... I feel like she is the opposite trope of R.C. R.C. is this very, like, hardened and, you know, battle-weary kind of cold lady. And, like, I love that Strongarm, you went for the approach of having her be this really enthusiastic do-gooder. Yeah. I think Strongarm aspires to be hardened. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, the, the, the veteran, the tough veteran. Yeah, exactly. And she's just not there yet. Nope. Uh, and, uh, and so as we go along in the course of the season and she learns a little bit more about what she's doing and about how she's operating with other people, it's really fun to see how that character grows and changes over the course of the season. And Constance Zimmer, who does the voice, is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Uh, um, she brought so much to the character that really informed the writing uh, as the Ooh. season went along. Oh. Uh, and that happened with every character. It yeah. happened with Darren Chris. It happened with Mitchell Whitfield. It happened with Will Friedell. I mean, anybody who worked yeah. on the show, Kari Payton, all those characters, all those actors brought something to the character that really uh, helped us build them into something else. So, so you guys tailor the character, or at least their voice for the character, uh, when when the va- voice actors actually come in. And- oh, yeah. When the, when the actors are that good, yeah. you'd be foolish not to. <laughs> You know, yeah. do you have specific examples of aspects that you've incorporated from the actor into the character? Sure, um, Constance um, uh, hasn't done a whole lot of voiceover work, maybe. So mm-hmm. I think she was maybe a little bit hesitant in the pilot, and we were able to make that into something in the course of the the visuals. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you know. I think I tweeted about this during the live tweet. My favorite moment in the whole pilot is when she runs past Bumblebee to get into the action, and she's hopping up and down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that was totally. In 
informed by the amount of excitement in Constance's voice when she, you know, is saying those lines. Yeah. Um, and we find moments like that for every character. Nice. How much of the show had been written by the time you did actually start recording episodes? Because you say that, you know, you actually had worked with the actors and had yeah. the chance to have their acting inform where the writing kind of mm-hmm. went. I mean, how many episodes? Yeah, how many episodes before? had you written? Before the first one was recorded? Yeah, before the first one was recorded. Uh, you know, I don't remember. Yeah. I think we were probably in the teens. Okay. We had written a fair number yeah. by that point. Excellent. Um, are you guys done with the first season, or are you? Guys, is season one still in production? Uh, season one is done with production. Ah, my follow-up question. Certainly to on that. the writing, <laughs> certainly on the writing end, there may be stuff going on still on the technical sides. Yeah. Okay, I think we can all say this. Season two? <laughs> that you can be indeed my question. say that. <laughs> you say that very well. Whether Season that is true. You say that very well. My my follow-up question was, since at least from a writing perspective, everything for season one is done, What ep- without giving away any spoilers, what episode number are you looking most forward to fan reactions? Wow. Uh, it's It's been a while since we worked on these episodes, <laughs> yeah. so it's hard to remember which numbers... There are. You can as, just tell us what is it happens. Like then. Beginning <laughs> season, mid season, season finale. No, I, I mean the show. I think gets better with every episode. So certainly by the end of the season, the shows are are amazing, <laughs> and they're already amazing. But I think they just get better. Um, I want to say that episode nineteen is one that <laughs> wow. we all like. But mm-hmm. I'm again, it's been so long. I'm not sure if I'm referring to the right episode. So you'll just have to watch them all and judge for yourself. <laughs> so nineteen, like we're not going to already, yeah. right? <laughs> Captive audience. <laughs> All right. I've got a few questions here. All okay. right. Um, a lot of my friends who are fans of the cartoons that you've worked on, um, have they have uh, a favorite project or TV show you worked on? Um, you know, I grew up reading comic books, uh, and I still read comic books. I wrote comic books for a while. Yeah. Uh, so the chance to work on existing comic book properties was a huge deal for me. Getting a chance to work on any of the Batman shows was a big deal. Working on X-Men was a big deal. Um, those are a treat to, to get a chance to put words in the mouth of characters that you've loved for, you know, X number of years. And I'm not going to give away my age. <laughs> uh, a while. A while uh, is a real treat. Uh, and um, uh, it's a gift, you know, to play in that sandbox, which is which taught me how to read and taught me how to imagine. It's great fun. Is there a character that you haven't worked on that you would like to take a crack at? Oh, gosh. Yeah. Um, I have not worked on a lot of uh, animated Marvel shows. Mm. Um, okay. And, of course, I've, I've loved Marvel co- characters as much as I've loved DC characters uh, throughout my whole life. So, And some of the stuff the, the Marvel people are doing right now is really fantastic and amazing and playing off of storylines that I remember when I was a kid. Mm. So a chance to work on some of those characters would be really neat. All right. And favorite superhero, I had to ask. <laughs> uh, I, I'm an Aquaman fan. Sweet, me oh, too. Uh, and I got into an argument with somebody over that this uh, this morning over breakfast. What? Oh, um, he gets a lot of hate. Making the, uh, yeah, the guy is king of two-thirds of the world. Exactly. Uh, he is not useless. He is no. a political power. I mean, big time. If you wanted to apply it that way, it could be a really big deal. So I'm a big Aquaman fan. I think there's a lot of potential there. And DC's new take on Aquaman has realized a lot of it very well. But I think there's still so much more to be explored. Since we uh, are on the topic of comic book characters, and you have written a fair number of comics and graphic novels, what do you find the biggest differences between writing for like TV or writing comics? I think in in writing for animation, you're doing uh, a lot of directing on the page, Mm -hmm. but you do even more in comics. 
because most of the time you don't know the artist that you're working with. So when you're writing a full script and you see a panel in your head, you have to communicate it uh, pretty clearly on the page with a lot of detail. Um, that said, I always tell the artist once I find out who they are mm. that if they can think of a better way to draw a panel or come up with a page design or whatever uh, than what I've given them, they're more than welcome to do it because they're the experts in that area. So I tend to write in a lot more detail for comics mm. um, than I do for animation, but I think animation was great training for comics because I was used to uh, what we call it calling out shots, describing individual shots and, and, and moments in the, in the script. Yeah. How does that compare mm-hmm. with working to storyboarders? Because that is a little bit of a different process. You know, I haven't worked a lot with storyboarders directly on a storyboard-driven show. All of the shows that I've worked on have been uh, script-driven. Um, so I would love the opportunity to try that. I've worked a little bit that way with comics, where an artist has done layouts, and then I'll be sent the layouts and have to do dialogue over them. But I haven't done that so much in animation. So then you really have to work on your economy of words when you already have... <laughs> No a kidding. A small amount of space. <laughs> no <laughs> kidding. Like Twitter. When yeah. I was first working in comics, I was told it's not really a good idea to have a 16-panel page. <laughs> uh, and, you know, you want to keep your, your dialogue balloons to X number of words or lower, uh, just so that the art has room to breathe. It's mm. a pretty good way to put it. Yeah. Um, speaking of animation, we had a big animation shift from Prime to Robots in Disguise. Right. What's your take on it? Uh, I think it's um, great for the audience that is our primary audience. Uh, I think yeah. that um, it brings a lighter tone. Uh, it brings a little bit more air to the show. Um, but it still conveys the same amount of emotion, the same amount of expression. Um, it's, I think it, it works for the bridge we're trying to create between the two series. Is it a little easier to... I'm getting into animation questions here. <laughs> Feel free. Is it a little easier to work with models you have now than with the strict CGI that Prime had? Is there more flexibility Well, it's, that's hard for me to answer because I didn't work on Prime. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that you you write not so much to the models as you write to the characters and the, the personalities that you have uh, outlined already in the episodes that you've done. So uh, the models, while they're fantastic... They aren't really the driving force in coming up with the writing. Yeah. And you mentioned, of course, that you didn't work on Prime. And obviously, you know, Robots in Disguise had some of the same team members from Prime working on it. How did you wind up being involved in Robots in Disguise? Uh, you know, Jeff Klein and I would run into each other uh, every so often over the years. And, and we'd catch up and we'd talk about stuff. And Jeff would say, you know, we should work on something sometime. And I would say, <laughs> you know what? We really should work on something sometime. And then the opportunity came up with... Robots in Disguise, and I had done plenty of action-adventure yeah. shows, uh, and Jeff was kind enough to call me in and ask if I was interested in what fool wouldn't be. <laughs> um, and uh, I just jumped in, and uh, Jeff is uh, a fantastic mentor. Uh, mm-hmm. His track record, uh, you know, the quality of his shows speaks for itself. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and he's tough. He's demanding. He wants every episode to be as good as it possibly can be. And uh, he taught me a lot about how to be a producer, uh, stuff that I had never done before. I had never sat in, really, on storyboard meetings. Mm-hmm. I had never sat in on different cuts of episodes as they came back from overseas and given notes. Uh, I had never been part of the casting process, really, or talking about uh, giving notes on designs. Uh, and Jeff taught me all of that stuff. Uh, so um, I- I'm really grateful to have been a part of this show because not only was it a great experience working for these characters, yeah. but working with Jeff. 
That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, you mentioned, you know, you loved comic books when you were a kid. Is that what made you want to get into storytelling? Or was there a different kind of aha moment where you're like, that's what I want to do? It was definitely comics. It was definitely comics. When I was in grade school, I was writing and drawing my own comics. They're not coming out for publication. <laughs> but I was also writing short stories and yeah. whatever. I was writing all the time. Um, I definitely wanted to be a storyteller. I quickly realized I did not know how to draw and it was not going to get better. Oh. <laughs> It's okay, I'm right there with you. It didn't Uh stop me. Um, But I've been writing all along and uh, always wanted to tell stories for these kinds of characters. So how did you get into the industry? Uh, I uh, studied journalism as an undergrad uh, and went into journalism for a couple years after college. And I got tired of telling other people's stories. I had stories that I wanted to tell that, that I thought were my own. So I went to film school at the University of Texas, got a degree in screenwriting, and moved out to Los Angeles and figured I would give it... X number of years to break in or make some forward progress. And if I didn't, I would go right back to Texas and do something else. And um, I'm still here. Uh, <laughs> my first job was writing for a primetime soap opera oh, uh, for, uh, for Aaron Spelling. Uh, it was called Savannah. Uh, <laughs> that show was canceled before I could get a script to write. So I was sort of back out mm. in the street. <laughs> um, and it was much easier to get meetings with animation studios in those days than it was oh. with obviously with networks. Right. Yeah. Uh, there was a little more search for new talent that went on with animation studios. Mm-hmm. So uh, eventually one of my studios got to somebody's desk at Klasky Chupo. Uh, John Hardman John Hardman, and Eric Casimiro, thank you very much. <laughs> uh, and uh, they liked what they saw and I was called in and asked if I wanted to write an episode of The Wild Thornberries. Oh, nice! <laughs> so I wrote an episode of The Wild Thornberries and was put mm-hmm. on staff and everything has come from that. That's fantastic. What's the most difficult part of the writing process for you, and how do you work through it? Uh, Coming up with stories. Uh, Really (laughs) is, because, um, you know, not only is there the hurdle of making sure you're not doing something that is old ground to these shows, you want to come up with something really fresh and something um, really new that people are going to say, oh, yeah, why didn't we think of that? Um, Fortunately, with our characters, coming up with interactions for them was never a problem, but coming up with new bad guys and coming up with new situations and because you're not just constrained by the history of the show but by the budget of the show mm. there's only so much you can afford to draw so many new locations so yes. many new characters so you're trying to uh, work within those guidelines and it, it can be tough but we do it <laughs> on a full stomach absolutely <laughs> burner it, fueled is there a project that you've worked on before that maybe you weren't not exactly happy, I'm not going to say that, but like maybe you've always wanted to change and go back and redo it. Yeah, if you could reboot one, yeah. what would oh, it be? Oh, that's interesting. Um, well, I don't know. I mean, the number of shows that I've been the head writer for are really the only ones I can speak to. Uh, and I've learned something from every one of those shows, and I think we've done good work on every one of those shows. But not every episode is going to be as good as you want it to be, just because of whatever kinds of circumstances. Mm-hmm. Uh, I worked on a show called Pink Panther and Pals. Uh, which I think came out really well, and there are some really, really funny moments, but I see episodes that that I wrote for that, and that was a tough show because there was no dialogue. Oh, yeah. And now I think with the uh, benefit of a couple years being past that, Mm -hmm. I see stories that I would go back and try again, and I think I could tell in a better way. Very nice. Um, Do you have any advice for people who maybe want to go into, you know, writing or working in television or animation or anything like that that you give? Yeah, I have three standard pieces of advice that I give people. One is always be writing something. Nice. Uh, The second one is to find people whose uh, judgment you trust 
and show them your work and get honest opinions back on it. Uh, develop a circle of people that can comment on your writing and, and ideally whose writing you can comment on. Um, and the third thing is that you, you don't have to move to L.A. to break into the industry, <laughs> but it helps to be here uh, to yeah. get on people's radar. Awesome. All yeah. right. If you could tell any story, your own original one or a retelling of an existing franchise, what would you do? Well, I'm not going to give that away. (laughs) Come on. Um, I have ideas, you know, like (laughs) all kinds of ideas. Uh, And I'm hopefully going to get a chance to tell all those stories at some point in some form. Um, I have ideas that are better suited for comics than they are for television. Uh, I have ideas that are better suited for film. And, uh, you know, they line up like planes on a runway. And you just hope you can get to them all. That's a really good metaphor. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting to all of them. Well, and and following up on that, you say you have some stories that are better for comics and some stories that are better for television, animation, what have you. How do you know the difference, like, when it pops into your head? Sure. Um, With comics, you have an unlimited budget. Uh, your your nice. budget is the artist's wrist. <laughs> uh, so not super unlimited. <laughs> not super. You don't want to say the giant space armada move towards the planet. There are literally millions of ships. And then they're just Panel like, two. God Draw digitally. <laughs> copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, right? paste. You don't want to do that. But at the same time, you can have images in comics that you just can't get on television. Yeah. Um, you know, that said, talking about the growth in animation over the last bunch of years, there's a lot more that you can show in animation now. Yeah. But, uh, uh, but comics can still give you really big picture stuff. Yeah, that's. I think that that's something that we see nowadays too, with like books and movies and like things like the Lord of the Rings trilogy could have never been made into a movie that anybody in the Tolkien estate would have been happy with until semi-recent years. Well, and so, even now, they're not super happy. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> but it beats the rotoscope version. <laughs> yeah. that, that, that one's scary. But you yeah. got to admit, I that's agree. an achievement that they it even is. made yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, it's a hugely ambitious project yeah. to the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. But that doesn't make it any less terrifying. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Uncanny Valley. Uncanny but, Valley. But you yeah. acknowledge the effort. Yes. Indeed. There and there go. was a lot of it. Right. Well, and, you know, just talking about stuff that's on TV right now, stuff like Game of Thrones, like George R. R. Martin specifically stopped writing for TV because they kept telling him, these scripts are unproducible. (laughs) And yet his scripts are some of the best episodes that they've done. Yes, his scripts are amazing. He always writes the the really, really heart-wrenching I'd be happy if he he devoted all of his energy to writing more books. Me too! (laughs) That is actually what he's doing. He's not doing an episode this season because he's working on, he's also skipping Comic-Con. Yeah, news and gossip for an entirely different show. (laughs) Do I need to hit the button? I'll do it. (laughs) Oh, no, not the button. I'm going to do it. No. Whatever he wants to work on is fine with me. I did it. <laughs> Stop that! <laughs> I thought you were going to hit the off-topic button. I was going to hit. I was going to hit that next, but I won't do it. Oh, thanks. Back on topic, kind of. Rephrasing the previous question: If you could work on any existing franchise, reinterpret it however you wanted to, what would you do? Oh gosh, uh, you know I was such a huge fan of the Micronauts comic book. When I was uh, when I was a big comic book reader, I would love to get a chance to develop that for television. I think there's so much fun to be had with uh, with that concept of a world and that kind of world building. I think it'd be great. I've I've always loved those characters. Animated or live action? Animated. Yeah, right. definitely. Nice. That'd be fun. Yeah, it would now, be fun. I know it's 
especially especially hard is like picking children. But since you've come into robots in disguise, so pick as, my children. <laughs> do you have a favorite transformer? That was my question. <laughs> Sorry, everyone's getting that question. Exactly. There are characters that um, I, I love all the characters, and I know that's a that's an evasive answer. Um, but there's something fun about every character. Something fun to write about every character. That said. I think that as we went along, I became more and more delighted with Grimlock. And oh, how, awesome. He's my favorite. And at how this his point. voice developed, and how he became a, a commentator on the action with a really uh, skewed and fun <laughs> sense of humor. I think that I, I hope that viewers are really going to enjoy how Grimlock develops over the course of this first season. I think based on the reactions that just between our yeah. panel and also the people that tuned in last week, like he is for sure. A fan favorite. Yeah, we have a soft spot for Grimlock. Yeah, yeah. And we and, all you know, want to know why he was on the ship. Yeah, I take issue with people who say that Grimlock is stupid. Aww. I do who's because that? I think I that oh. <laughs> <laughs> he is not super. I am taking issue. Um, <laughs> take I, that issue. I think he just has a really peculiar and individual way of looking at things that is plenty smart in its own way. He's maybe not the most experienced at certain kinds of aspects of interaction, mm. but he's. Plenty smart in his own way. I don't well, know. I, I thought he might be the emotional intelligence of the group. Yeah. I think the great thing about our show is that every character can function in that way at some yeah. point. I think Fixit does that a lot. I think Russell does that a lot. Um, I think, uh, y- you know, even a character who tries to be as emotionally distant as Sideswipe can bring some level of that to each episode. Yeah. You can only be too cool for school for so long. <laughs> well, you know, he stays pretty cool. <laughs> She's pretty cool all season, I gotta say. Just, I'm sorry, Karen Chris anime hair that we know it's amazing. That hair is awesome, unbelievable. Sideswipe is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> a robot with anime hair. I just, I yeah. Japan is obviously already in love with this series. And he has seatbelts. Oh yeah. Why does he have seatbelts? I'm okay with that. It, it's, uh, it has to do with um, the time lag between the previous series and this series, and the changes in the vehicle safety code on Cybertron. Uh, <laughs> He's riding in a. No, I'm not going to go. <laughs> that is a rabbit hole that I don't need to go down to. Partially because I think you're going to give me vague non-answers. <laughs> of course. I just made that one up on the fly. I know. Okay. <laughs> so obviously with the Transformers, you got to interpret these already existing characters. Now, how was it different with the human characters? Because you guys created the human characters That's for correct. this show, correct? Yeah. So you got you had a blank slate there. A little bit. Um, when I came on board, Russell and Denny had already been created. Okay. Uh, and the, re- the basic relationship of kid coming to live with his father after several years apart, that was already there. Mm-hmm. But coming up with who Denny was and why he has this crazy scrapyard <laughs> and why he never seems to sell anything. And, yeah, and where does his income come from? That's yeah. a really good question. <laughs> He's got such a rich girlfriend. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I, I made that up too. Was um, it a trust? We don't know. You know, I don't know. Maybe he sells, he has a separate stash of stuff that he actually sells. And then the bulk of it is the stuff that he collects. Uh, I don't know. Um, but coming up with that, uh, reasons for that. And uh, also, you know, we didn't want Russell to be a, a character that's always saying, oh, dad. Right. In every episode. So showing him getting closer to Denny as you go along um, brought out a lot of uh, fun stuff in Russell and how much he loves participating in these adventures and how much he loves these these robots that have come to be with them. And uh, it's a lot of fun. And Stuart Allen, who plays Russell, and mm-hmm. Ted McGinley, who plays Denny, 
are fantastic together. They really have great chemistry, and they're really fun to work with. And Stuart has gone on to do a whole bunch of stuff, including a Batman versus Robin. Uh, oh, that's, that's fantastic! Yeah, they're uh, showing that at WonderCon yeah. next weekend. Mm. I'm planning on going to see it. <laughs> you know, and Ted is a very experienced actor who's worked on a ton of different shows, and just working with them was really amazing. That's awesome. And I have to ask, since there is a diner in this junkyard, <laughs> does Denny's, Denny's name come from there? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to honestly tell you that never occurred to me. <laughs> Sweet, we he, stumped him, guys. I don't know. He has his own personal Denny's. He does. And it didn't come up. I'm so mad we didn't put that into a script. <laughs> oh season two. That, season you know, there's more stories to tell. There's more stories to tell. Sweet. So, at the panel last year at San Diego Comic Con, and I'm pulling way back from this one, there was talk about potentially bringing in some of the other characters from Prime if Robots in Disguise gets a season two, is that potentially still on the table? That is potentially still on the table. Um, like I said, while we're not making it the focus of our series that we are connected to 30 years of, of Transformers history, that's also a benefit that we are connected to 30 years of Transformers <laughs> history because we have all these wonderful characters we can pull from and bring in uh, if we choose. Um, <laughs> so awesome. I'm not ruling out the possibility of uh, of seeing you know faces that are familiar. Okay. If... If it's possible to say so without giving anything away for season one, is there anything you guys didn't get to that you would maybe like to tackle in season two? No. <laughs> Absolutely no way of you saying know, because that. You know, because you don't know how long a show is going to be around, you don't leave any ideas in the in the hopper. You, If it's a good idea, you make it into an episode. And so each episode that we came up with was you know, the best thing we could think of at that time. And uh, we, I think, have told a lot of really good stories with those. And that said, you know, if there are more stories to tell, certainly at the end of a season one, uh, that would be great for a season two. We've got these wonderful characters. We've now explored them. We know their relationships. Let's build on that. So, um, you know, there's plenty more stories to tell. Always plenty more stories to tell. That's a good but you answer. don't believe in a cliffhanger season finale unless you're confirmed for another season. Uh, I'm sorry. I don't believe in them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I believe in, in everything. <laughs> I believe in whatever entertains the viewers. I believe in, in keeping <laughs> viewers hooked. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> that doesn't bode well. I have a bad feeling about this, guys. <laughs> I think we all do. We, we know on uh, YouTube you said that, and you've said before that you want to keep it a little bit more lighthearted. You have to understand... It's hard to believe that. <laughs> when we've been trained on Prime. Yeah. I totally get that. You have to remember that this show is intended for a younger, uh, immediate target audience. Mm-hmm. We want the show to be great for people who are of an you know, older generation who remember uh, previous shows, but it's, it's really for people who are coming off of, of Rescue Bots. And new viewers. We want people we want more people to get involved in the Transformers universe. All right. So have we seen any pieces of the long game for this series of the overarching plot? You bet. <laughs> All right. I wanted you confirmation bet. because I know if I ask you what they are, it's not going to go anywhere. No, no, no. I'm, I'm happy to tell you stuff. Um, Please. Uh, some stuff. <laughs> the pilot sets up a lot of it. I mean, it, it, there's a prison ship that crashed on yep. Earth. What, what? Prison ship? Why is this the first we've heard of prison ships? Yeah. Uh, Who are these characters that are on this prison ship? Why did it crash? How long has it been out there? How long was it out there? Why did it crash? Um, What is up with Optimus? (laughs) (laughs) He just 
Mufasa out my, there right now. Like, my notes from last week are literally like, oh, he's de- he's not dead. No, he, uh, no, he's definitely dead. Is he dead? I, uh, we wouldn't he introduce know. we wouldn't introduce Optimus like that in a pilot episode and not tell you anything <laughs> more. This is true. Oh, good. <laughs> he doesn't know anything more is a little worrying. Interesting, isn't it? It's very, um, very so intriguing. So some of those questions you will get answers mm-hmm. to. I, I wanted to ask, we haven't seen a whole lot of our Decepticon out there quite yet. <laughs> Not yet. We've yes. only seen one no. Decepticon and we've seen silhouettes of the it's other It's all ones. under my head. <laughs> <laughs> Consumer of Nuon City. <laughs> who? Under, underbite who apparently yeah. needs a new PR agent because <laughs> nobody recognizes no. him. That, that's why we were asking how oh. long they've been out there. Yeah, yeah. But that made me laugh so hard <laughs> that he thought everyone should know who oh, he yeah. was. Yeah, he's a big star in his own mind. Grimlock <laughs> <laughs> knew. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's, everybody's really wondering about Grimlock and why he was on that Decepticon ship. And it was he tricked into being a Decepticon because he seems to have a really big heart and I'm just Grimlock so loves fighting. Yeah. <laughs> he seems like he would be either the muscle or the fall guy for some sort of operation. Grimlock loves fighting. <laughs> That's Wait. all I'm gonna say. Okay. Given his first few lines of dialogue yeah. were essentially yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, really looking Going to back it. to the Decepticons, you, sure. you mentioned that it was kind of difficult to find voices for all these characters. Was it difficult finding voices for our different Decepticons? Because we don't know if they're a team or if they're all gonna be free agents. Right. And we um, don't have Megatron to immediately fall back on for yeah, this one. Or Starscream. Right. That's right. goodness knows if either of them are still alive. That's right. Fingers crossed. Goodness knows. <laughs> and I suspect you should have goodness as a guest <laughs> on so your next episode. Dish. If yes. you can give me their information, I sure. would love to speak with goodness. Goodness can be found everywhere. Um, uh, yes, it is hard finding voices for all those Decepticons because you want them all to have different crimes that they've committed, mm-hmm. different motivations, different <laughs> things that they want in a given episode. So it's... Uh, um, it's tricky, uh, and you want you know uh, you want to find out which characters, and you're not going to know until they air are the ones that fans really want to see more of. Mm-hmm. So you try to develop all these characters as though they could sustain their own series. Almost, uh, you want them all to have that kind of depth, whether they're heroes or villains. So it's a it's a lot of work. And when do you make the decision to make them? more menacing or to make them more like Underbite, who can do a lot of damage but you're also laughing at him a lot. And we've seen the clips of Bisk, and Bisk is uh, Bisk. <laughs> I am so proud of that name. It's really great. I can't begin to tell you how proud I am of that name. For those watching at home who don't know who we're talking about, Bisk is the lobster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in the script, it's B-I-S-K. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, they're all hopefully menacing while having a comedic element to them. We want them to be funny, but not to the point where you're not concerned that they're going to step on somebody right. and squash them flat. So hopefully they all carry a certain amount of uh, violent potential. <laughs> but at the same time, you can giggle at them for being weird or stupid or silly or whatever. Or a star in their Bisk. own mind. <laughs> or a giant <laughs> lobster. Or yeah. you can laugh at them for being lobsters. Yeah. Lobsters who are D&D obsessed. Isn't that awesome? That's I love pretty that. amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. That was a great script. (laughs) We are really looking forward to it. Yes. So, do you have any projects that you're working on that you can tell us about that you'd like people to know about? Unfortunately, I can't talk about a lot of the things that I'm working on, uh, just because they haven't been made public by whoever is is backing them. But I am NDA o'clock. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. Uh, But I am working on uh, projects both for television and for comics, uh, and um, excited for all of them. Some of them are original. Uh, right. And some are existing properties that I'm really uh, thrilled to be working on. 
So staying busy. Well, in a wonderfully vague way, that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> Looking forward to them. It is. <laughs> All right. You guys have any last questions? I think you guys have covered yeah. it pretty well. Anything I forget about booth? this. Nothing from the booth, guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for coming in. Where can the Thanks people find me. you online? I am uh, on Twitter at at Sonova, S-O-N-N-O-V-A. I am on Twitter at Emma Fife. I'm also on Instagram at Emma Fife and on Facebook and Pinterest and just Emma Fife anywhere Emma Fife's are found. <laughs> <laughs> at your local Emma Fife dealer? <laughs> EmmaFife.com. <laughs> and I'm Megan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Menguin. That's T-H-E-M-E-N-G-U-I-N. I'm also on a bunch of shows here at AfterBuzz. And I've also started writing articles for the Movie Chicks. So be sure to go online and check those out. Alexis? You can find me all over the interwebs as ATORES890. You can also follow me on YouTube. I will be doing vlogs daily or weekly uh, at youtube.com slash PS890. And I'm Katie Cullen. You can find me on Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram at Kiaget. That's K-I-A-X-E-T. I am also on the Arrow After Show on Wednesdays. Thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. I and really appreciate it. <laughs> and we really appreciate you coming. <laughs> And thank you guys so much for watching. Transform and roll out. From executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other After shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz you later! The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.